You say teenager, I say toddler. Two longtime friends in different seasons of parenting process the past while dealing with the craziness of today. Enjoy! Welcome back, everybody, to You Say Teenager, I Say Toddler. You say teenager, I say toddler. Teenager, toddler, teenager, toddler. We discussed the last time that you were not going to try and involve me anymore in the chant. I hear it in my head. I hear a whole stadium of people like, yeah, toddler, teenager, toddler. And I know the audience does too. And that's all that matters because they're on my side. If you say so. Anyway, hi. Hi, everybody. We're so glad that you're joining us today because we have a special guest today. We have with us Courtney Harris. And we were introduced through Julie Spears, who was on our episode a couple months back where we were talking about teenage clothing and some mental health stuff, um, teenage sexuality and that sort of thing. And Julie introduced us to Courtney because she knew that Courtney had a ton of expertise to bring to the table. And so we're super excited that we were able to pin her down for an interview. She might be held at gunpoint at the moment. And we, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't tell. Don't give okay. our stuff away. Don't give away God. our secrets on how we get Come our on, Leanne. Okay. So Courtney, if you could give us a little introduction about yourself and your background and your professional expertise and how you ended up on our podcast. Yes. Well, thanks for having me. Fun to chat with you all. And I love your energy. So um, yeah, I'm Courtney Harris and I'm a life coach for teens and parents. That's sort of the the neat and tidy title. Um, But I do work with folks who are usually tweens, teens or young adults. Of course, sometimes I do work with younger elementary clients as well. And then I also offer parenting coaching. And so in this role as a coach, you know, I see myself as being someone that's offering accountability and support and partnership for the families that I work with. Um, And I believe that coaching can be therapeutic, but it's not therapy. So it's a little bit of a different type of support person on a young person's team. And I came to this work because of my own journey as a teenager feeling like There were a lot of gaps that were not being filled either through school or home. And I was like kind of always on the search for like where I needed a mentor. I needed somebody that was, again, not a teacher, not my parent. And so that was part of what inspired me is my own struggles in my teen years. And then also like you, Leanne, I used to be a teacher. So I was in the classroom for 10 years. And as a high school teacher, I continued to see that need amongst my students, you know, just like they can open up and share to teachers. And I think that's a beautiful and special relationship. And at the end of the day, I also still was a person that had to give a grade and that gives a sort of different power dynamic than I get to experience as a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are just kind of two of the bigger inspirations that led me on this journey to do what I do now. Can I ask, so you taught high school, Can I ask what subject area you taught and and you always taught here in Austin? Uh, Also in Arizona, but primarily in Austin. And I am, so I have my master's in special education. And so I've always been a special ed teacher, but then as a high school teacher, I also was an English content teacher. So it was English special ed combo. Well, and I taught SEL, social and emotional learning. Oh, okay. And how long have you been out of the educational field? Oh, I don't know. What is time this year and in general, but um, (laughs) I think three years. Oh, okay. Yeah. My practice is about three and a half going on. Yeah. It's like almost four years old, 
but there was some overlap. I was doing part-time teaching uh, when I first started my practice. Okay. And now you do your practice along with a few other things full-time. You're completely <laughs> yes. out of the teaching room. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm fully entrepreneur. Um, and I know we talked about that briefly before, but I am doing this life coaching for teens and parents. And then I'm also a birth companion, otherwise known as doula. And then I'm also a writer, which if you check out my website, you'll see I have a pretty robust blog, but I also do primarily writing and reproductive justice um, for other birth work businesses. Okay. And just so that we don't forget at the end, tell everybody um, your website. Okay. It's pretty easy. It's CourtneyHarrisCoaching.com. Courtney oh, wait, Harris I missed that. Coaching. Can you repeat that? <laughs> <laughs> One more time for the kids in the back. CourtneyHarrisCoaching.com. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Well, wow, Courtney, you're so intriguing. That's such a resume and a background. Like, I love this. And um, the blog about the reproductive justice. And um, yeah, we could talk to you for hours, but not today. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, we're talking about something specific today. So Leanne, I'll let you take it away. Well, so Courtney got out of teaching at just the right time because the rest of us are wondering what we're <laughs> doing in the field at the moment with everything that's going on with COVID. Today, we wanted to talk specifically about virtual learning because most of us are not getting a choice as to whether or not we're going to engage in virtual learning. And it's really, really affected the entire country at large. So that's why we wanted to bring Courtney on today to kind of talk us through both the drawbacks of what's going on with virtual learning, maybe even some of the the high, like the silver lining of virtual learning, and then kind of what to what to think about so far. Because I think, well, I don't think, I know in March when they sent us all home right before spring break here in Austin, they were like, okay, I think it was Thursday before spring break. We're like, everybody pack your stuff up and go. I think we all just kind of thought, okay, well, we've got spring break anyways. And then afterwards, you know, maybe we'll take a week off and then we'll all come back to school and we'll finish off the semester and it'll all be good. And it just kept going and it kept going and it kept going. And before you know it, here we are almost to the end of the fall semester, 2020, and it doesn't look like it's ending anytime soon. So talk to us about the fact that we're in the thick of it, that everybody is sick of it, the challenges that families are facing, and what you think they can do to kind of navigate such a kind of time, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I do think this com- this question is like almost impossible to answer because of the fact that, you know, as you stated all like families and school districts are in different boats based on what their school is offering or what the state is requiring and what the family has going on as far as their capacity to work from home or not work from home. Right. So it's like, you know, I just want to offer the disclaimer that I know that we all have like different um, privileges and oppressions that we're facing as we're navigating this hugely difficult time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I will offer that my spouse is a teacher. So I get to hear the perspective of teacher from him. And then, of uh, you know, from clients, I get to hear more of the home and inner workings of the family stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I, I think when I was kind of pondering the topic, I was considering what I hear is working from clients as well as what's not working. And what seems to be really working is when uh, families are able to come up with a routine that feels flexible enough, but has enough structure, right? So it's like the balance of being like, okay, we've got stuff to do, but also knowing that every day our capacity could be low, we could be tired, Mm -hmm. we could be 
having a sad day, right? And so we have to also be able to go with the flow. So that's more of like a feeling than a practical thing to implement. But I think it's something for families to consider like, okay, where are we on the like structure spectrum? Are we super rigid? Or are we like loosey goosey? And then working to get somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, something, I guess this goes in the sort of what's working for some families. I think it's interesting because I've been hearing parents reflect on how it's actually been kind of special and like a new kind of intimacy with their kid to be able to see some of the things they do during the day or to be Mm. able to have lunch together if that's possible for the parent based on their work and their schedule. Um, But just kind of having like more moments of connection in the day, that's, I know that's happening for some families. And by the way, stop me, interrupt me if you have questions or, you know, comments along the way, because I could keep going. (laughs) You're doing good. Um, Yeah. And I think other things that are working is, some clients that I work with have had like accountability buddies or accountability buddies, I guess you could call it. Hmm. Um, and they're doing basically like co-working. And so while the, the two of the young people may be doing completely different classwork, they're still meeting up at one person's home and offering that accountability of just being in the same room, being like, are you doing your work? Are you doing your work? Okay. Can we take a break? You know, having that kind of like adults, we might do that type of co-working um, experience. And I think some young people are getting to try that out in a new way and are enjoying it. Of course, the disclaimer on that is like, are the families okay with and consenting to that given COVID situation? Right. You know, um, what's not working? I know that in some clients are struggling with, you know, just feeling the complete isolation because of the way virtual school, it's not like a classroom where there's not like the, oh, I just, you know, I sat next to someone new and got to have a random little conversation with them. There's not the, oh, we're leaving the classroom at the same time and I end up just saying hi to somebody. Those kinds of organic and small social interactions are not happening with virtual schooling. So that is something that is definitely feeling heavy and sad for a lot of young people right now. Yeah. Do you feel like there's any sort of, because I guess one of the things I hear a lot of fear around is the disparity in how they would be learning or how much they would be gaining and retaining in the classroom versus at home. Are you hearing from your clients or just in general, maybe from your husband, they're not getting it in this format? It, you know, is this something parents really need to be worried about is kind of filling in those gaps educationally? I mean, this might be a controversial answer, but I feel like this year, every system is at max capacity. And I mean, like our individual nervous systems, I mean, the school system, I mean, the healthcare system, I mean, like rack it up, right? Like every system is at max capacity. So I'm almost not that concerned with there being like, it just seems um, to focus on adding more pressure to increase rigor at a time Mm -hmm. when we don't have the capacity doesn't seem purposeful to me, doesn't seem helpful. So it's not to say I think we just shouldn't be doing school or we shouldn't have any goals, but I'm just quite aware of our inability to take on more, right? And I'm sure that you, you know, as a public school teacher, you're being asked to do a million extra things or different things. And it's hard. It's really hard. Wow, Courtney, that's powerful. Like all of our systems are at full capacity. 
That is so true. I never looked at it like that. Um, I really like your response to that. I, I am completely on board. I just wish that Babs teachers, I feel like their workload is really high in high school. I feel like it's even more, maybe because teachers are like, oh, they're at home. They need to do this. You know, against my wishes, she's in two AP classes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I warned her against this. This is, uh, but she's in two AP and um, I don't know, the workload is pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do, I do, I do feel you on that. Yeah. Well, so Kurt was kind of worried because, so Babs is in her junior year, which is usually a pivotal year whenever it comes to applying for college or picking out colleges, taking your SATs, all that kind of stuff, get preparing for that next step after high school. And so I know, Kurt, you've been really worried about what is this going to mean for her getting into a university or getting into the college that she wants to, or program where she wants to be. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? I don't know if this, I'm, I'm trying to decide if this is like um, a hopeful or a hopeless answer, <laughs> but <Aww>. I'm like, <laughs> no, but I'm kind of like, Bring it on. I feel like the systems have to change. Right. I think when this last year's group of, let's see, yeah, some of the folks who were seniors last year and were going into college this year, some of them had scheduled spring SATs and they never got to take them and colleges had to accept them looking at other criteria. You know, there were adjustments in those bigger systems. So I think the hopeful part of me is like, yeah, I think the systems will have to change. The colleges will know, oh, you were a junior 2020 to 2021, like where our criteria is going to look different this year. Ah, um, okay. I know that Babs is really excited last year when California initiated this, the no testing. And like, you know, they say, so does California. So goes the rest of the nation. We usually lead in certain things and people follow. I was hoping moving forward, this would kind of like set the tone for, she's been already been looking at no testing schools, mm-hmm. but do you feel like you said, moving forward, it's a different way of looking at things. And perhaps they'll be like, Hey, we need to have different criteria to get in. This is not so important yeah. after all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would like to see a long-term impact of that. And, you know, even thinking like, I definitely believe in public schooling um, and I want I I will always be like a fan supporter of public school because I believe everyone needs access to a quality education. But I'm also recognizing how we've pretty much just had like, here's what public education looks like. And it's kind of one flavor. And that's not totally true. Like I know some school districts have specialized schools or magnet schools or whatever, but the majority of folks going to public schooling, it's kind of like, here's the one flavor you have to fit in it. And for different learners, sometimes that's not the right mm-hmm. type of schooling. And I do think that the pandemic has exposed some of that and has offered some different alternatives. Granted, we know sometimes these alternatives offered right now are not working for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess that's kind of the hopeful part is like, I do feel some hope that the systems can change. And like you said, Kurt could make some longer term decisions of like, oh yeah, the SAT and the ACT, these are not the end all be all. What actually enriches our school? Like what actually are we looking for when we're bringing new people to our college campuses? But I also feel like there's some hopelessness in it too for me because I just think it takes so long for us to make systems level changes that I'm like, also, are we just going to revert back to the status quo? Because I do hear a lot of people saying like, we can't wait to get back to normal. Yeah. Uh, yes. And it's like, <laughs> well, but do we really want that? Or like, can we imagine something new? Yeah. So. And that kind of leads into, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, all, I'm on a roll here. <laughs> um, call me Mr. Interrupter today. <laughs> that kind of leads into what we were going to ask. Like you see something, you know, this something positive in this moving forward, um, the, the changes, you know, and so on that you think, well, people will, ad- will adopt, will adapt. 
And maybe they realized, wait a minute. Yeah, this flavor was boring. This flavor needs to be changed up. Um, it's not mm-hmm. once, you know, it's not for everyone. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about how like in recent years, more workplaces have been having like, what do they call it? Well, I can't think of the word, but you know, when it's like some people come in at eight, some people come in at nine, some people staggered, like staggered work scheduling, stuff like this to help traffic won't be as bad or people get flexible scheduling. And I know this has been sort of in the works, but I think the pandemic again has like brought stuff more to the surface where workplaces have created new things or made space for new things. And yeah. Okay. Wait, what was the question? Positive. Um, so I do, (laughs) I do hope that that's something that, that we can see, you know, in the school system and hope hopefully in families too, because I, like I said, I have heard from some families that they're enjoying having lunch together, which is like, Whoa, if your kids started going to school at, you know, three, four five years old, you've maybe never had lunch with them for their whole lives. And so, those types of like family rituals and routines, I do think there's some of those things that people will take, you know, carry from this experience, just ways that they've been spending time together and creating connection um, that that has been sort of one of the like their coping skills to get through this time. So we've been kind of talking about this from a more pragmatic educational standpoint, for the most part, Kurt did mention to me, like, he and his daughter have had a really rough go over the last however many months of virtual learning and that he's really concerned about the long-term effects. You know, we're seeing all of these scary articles with these, you know, scary headlines about feelings of trauma and PTSD that our kids are having um, and we'll have to deal with for a long time to come. Can you speak to that? I mean, are you dealing with that with your clients? What do you see for the mental health at large for our kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry that it is so hard for a lot of families. You know, I just want to acknowledge that and just recognize it really it is has been really hard for a lot of families. And I think what's coming to my mind initially is the desire for us to be able to name and normalize normalize in the sense of like destigmatize acknowledging that there's there is trauma that's we're experiencing because of this pandemic because of this year there's been a whole lot of grief and loss um, at the beginning of the pandemic I wrote a blog about that just like dealing with pandemic grief and loss so it's like holding that naming and acknowledging these pains and the difficulty but then also finding hope in humans ability to be resi- resilient and to heal you know I think for us to hold both of those and be like wow we're really in you know, just the middle of really intense times. And I believe we can get through this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just sort of like from a philosophical or emotional point of view, just holding on to that. And then I would say practically what that looks like is also just figuring out as a family, like what works, even if it's literally one thing is working right now and <laughs> capitalizing on that, like acknowledging when that thing happens giving each other credit for it, praising one another, acknowledging one another, and then slowly moving towards like, and what else do we need in order to feel just a little bit better? Mm -hmm. 5% better. What can we do to feel 5% better this week? And sort of like gradually working towards the healing, even though, yes, we're still in the muck of it. Oh, Courtney, I love that. The, you know, just what's the one thing that's working or, you know, what's 5% better this week? I, I really like that. I guess it's just, you know, it's Babs's junior year and we were very hopeful in the, well, I was hopeful in the beginning of the year that we would be going hopefully hybrid learning or something, you know, in the second semester. 
Well, as of like officially today, Los Angeles, we've shut down again. Fun times. It's, <sighs> it feels very, it's just a horrible feeling. I mean, it feels like you're, it's closing in on you. It's just, it's, it's not fun. So apparently that's not going to be happening. It's for the next three weeks. Mm-hmm. And even Babs went to see her mom during Thanksgiving. And at, right after this, we're going to get a COVID test. <laughs> so that we, she has friends in her po- a friend in her pod that, I mean, mental health wise, it'd be really great for her to see this weekend. So we have to race to get a test to make sure we get it back on time that we can hang. Isn't it? It's just what our reality has become, you know? Yeah. But it's just these milestones. Like I'm obviously the audience. You, you're not going to be watching this, but we're, we're while we're recording, Leanne and Courtney can see I'm in her room, and we have a green screen behind me, and I have a ring because their musical theater production is virtual. Which I understand the teachers are trying to like give the kids an experience, but let me tell you, it's not good for musical theater. These kids, <laughs> like our musical theater, is not made to be perfect. They have to record their songs. Babs and her mm. friends, it's taking them like so long because they're perfectionists. They're musical mm. theater students, <laughs> and then they have to they have to do a recording thing, and it's just been not fun. <laughs> You know, and she's kind of like, well, am I going to get to perform anymore in high school? Next year is my senior year. And, you know, there's just all the milestones that yeah. they're missing out on. And, and and listen, all kids are. A lot of kids are. I think of the, the seniors last year, the poor class of uh, 2020. And yeah. um, is it going to be poor class of 2021 too, or 2022? Yeah. I mean, we just don't know. That's the big thing. I think I've said this last eight months, I don't know more than yeah. I've ever, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Well, I do think you're speaking to something that does create a lot of heaviness is like, I've pointed this out to a lot of clients that oftentimes when we're facing something challenging, not always, but often we have sort of like a trajectory where like, okay, this test is on this date or this job interview is on this date or, you know, even experiencing, not entirely, but even if we experience loss, like if a loved one dies, we sort of know like, okay, this first year is going to be really hard, all of the first. And of course, these kinds of things could be hard our whole lives, but we kind of have like a, a timeline. And so far, we haven't had a timeline in this pandemic of like, when's it going to end? When's it going to get better? When are things going to change? And so that is pretty heavy and does create, I'd, I'd say like, it's a mental load that creates a lot of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is true. And I'm trying to get in, help her get into a routine. And it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we have this thing where I come into her room now at, at eight, class starts at nine. So I come into her room and I bring her coffee and we have coffee together. Um, but I mean, we'll be talking and it's like eight fifty-eight. It's like, um, can you pull out your laptop? She's <laughs> laying in bed. And I'm, I don't know. I've kind of just learning to back off. Um, I'm like, I would ideally love to see her dressed and sitting at her desk, but some days that just doesn't work for her. And I'm right. going, for, I'm going with it. I'm not the one in school. So yeah. um, that's just kind of how we are with our routine. And li- I like what you said. I'm going to try like, you know, next week, what can we be 5% better at? Right. I really like that, Courtney. That That's super helpful. On that kind of sort of in that same vein, I have a, like a super specific question. So I'm a librarian and I rotate through the English classes doing lessons and presentations in all of our English classes, all grade levels. I don't mind coming to the screen and seeing a sea of black, (laughs) no faces on the screen. All the kids have their video turned on, or I'm sorry, turned off. And 
you know, it's like, okay, I'm just going to give my presentation. If you're listening, great. And if you're not listening, there's nothing I can do about it for the most part. Would I like to see <laughs> your faces? Sure. It would make me feel like I'm not just talking to the air, but I'm not going to make a big deal of it. Well, I have a couple of teachers who will be like, can y'all turn your video on? You're being very rude to miss. And it's so uncomfortable. And so there's like these two schools of thought kind of happening about whether or not they should have be required to have their video on from a mental health perspective. What do you think about whether or not they should be required to have their video on? I ultimately think it it's choice. I think that the students should be able to choose. And I have heard different perspectives, like, you know, plenty of clients have shared with me that it feels more vulnerable, like having their video on in their bedroom or like personal parts of their lives yeah. or yeah, like maybe they just, they chose to get up late because, you know, their motivation is low because, you know, pandemic for 10 months. And so they don't feel like they look screen ready. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if it's not going to make them feel better to turn their camera on, then I'd say it's okay to choose not to. Um, But then I think for other folks, it is adding that layer of disconnect again, because since you're not having those organic interactions in the classroom, you're also still not even seeing your friends or classmates' faces. And so then that is just kind of creating more distance. So yeah, there's a lot of nuance and complexity, but I do think that young people should be able to choose. All of that said, for the most part, they're going to do what the most people are doing. So if everyone chose to have their camera on, then they're going to feel a little more comfortable putting their camera on. But if most people have their avatar up or just a blank screen, it's like, uh, yeah, I'm not going to be the one person with my video on. That's awkward. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I'm a big fan of giving them a choice as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a big fan of just natural consequences. If you're not paying attention, you're not going to be able to do the work or or you're not going to internalize the information, whatever. I'm a big fan of natural consequences and not just like trying to beat them over the head. But that took a few years as a teacher to get to that place. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's hard right now because accountability is low, right? Like if a student is doing online school from home and their parent is at work away from the home and their like accountability is low. And I don't think that young person is to blame because it's also like, that's just really hard to not have an environment of you can do this, which school can often offer. Yeah. Um, so just so much nuance. There's no, no straightforward answers here. Yeah. You know, I want to circle back to Leanne mentioned this and there's, I've read some things, you know, a little bit. I'm kind of curious about the going forward, the mental health and like the PTSD of just like being in the fear of, this pandemic, uh, missing out on life events, like you said, the, um, the exclusion, missing out on, you know, not having that social activity. Do you feel, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? The long-term implications of this? I think I have, yeah, I have a curiosity of like, what will socialization look like when it's like scientifically safe for us to hang out? Like, what will that look like? And what will, what will that feel like? And particularly for young people, like, I know that it can be, um, well, I'm curious because there's a lot of like uh, clicks or groups, right? Of, oh, this group does that and this group does that. And some of that stuff has sort of fallen apart mm-hmm. because of the pandemic. And so I almost wonder if there will feel like a fresh start of, okay, we can all just like arrive here and start over again. But I also am guessing that there might be kind of a general not quite insecurity, well, maybe insecurity and just a little uncertainty of like feeling that you're arriving in a new place and you have to learn all the skills all over again. 
And that's, that could be intimidating. I guess for me, the comfort is I, I keep going back to everybody's going through this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just Babs. It's like mm-hmm. all of our children are going through it. So everyone's kind of at the same place. You know, like you said, it's not like you're the last one to arrive at the party and you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone knows what's up, but you, but I feel like, okay, we all are in the same boat. I'm just hope that we're as a society, we're going to be able to adapt together and be like, provide the space in the patients mm-hmm. for this. And like you said, we have nothing to base this on. We have nothing to base this on, really. That's a good point, though. Like, we operate very fast, especially in the Western world, especially in the United States. You know, it's all about, like, productivity, efficiency, do Mm -hmm. more, make more. And the pandemic has required that of some professions. But other people have had more of a slowing down and letting go of a lot of things. And so I am kind of curious, you know, like you said, Kurt, can we be a bit more patient with one another? Can we be a little slower? Uh, and I think we would, that would serve us well. And Courtney, I'm just curious on a, from a parent's view, I guess, perspective, because I'm going to make it all about me now and not Babs. But, you know, mentally for me, the challenge has been, you know, before this pandemic started, you know, I'm a single parent and it's just, I'm like, oh, wow, I have, it was like, I have three years left with Babs. And now it's like, I have two years. Well, this two-year mark comes up and it's like, I feel like life is paused, but when it restarts, she's going to be almost gone. Yeah. It's like, I feel like there's a few years and obviously the most important thing is the stuff that she's missing out on. But from a parent's point of view, my part in that too, of like working in the green room at her shows and being at her fundraisers and being able to see her participate in all this. I mean, it makes me like, oh my gosh, we're missing out on that. And I feel like once life starts again, it's going to be like, okay, let's go. And it's like, oh, she's graduated. That kind of, I have a little fear around that. I need to kind of write about it and kind of like take a look at that a little more, digest it, I guess, as time goes on. But I, it's been coming up for me the last few days. And I wonder, do you work with parents? Do, do other parents you know, voice these concerns or have these thoughts? The, not that specific question. I have had a lot of parents asking about just in general, what level of intervention to have with their team during this time on different like big decisions. You know, I'm working with some mm-hmm. college students that are like having the worst time ever because it's their first year of college. And they're like, you know, do I tell my kid, yeah, you can transfer schools or do we help them push through it? And, you know, so I think parents in general are trying to figure out the right level of support. But I don't know, as you were talking, I was curious about, can it be both? Like, can it be that, and I do this a lot where I'm like holding two hands being like, look at these two opposites. We can look at them together, but I'm going to do it again, which is like, can you hold the, the losses and the feeling like, oh my gosh, there may be you may miss out on some of these things you expected to have with Babs. And can you together like create other ways of connecting beyond high school as well? You know, that it's not that it's just going to disappear because Babs graduates mm-hmm. and that maybe there's college shows you get to go to. Maybe you plan a special trip when it feels good, you know, so kind of holding on to both at once. Oh, I like that. And, you know, and I do want to say we have had positives during this. I mean, obviously we've had a lot more time together. I'm, I'm a fellow entrepreneur as well. So I always work from home, but she just wasn't here all the time. <laughs> yep. And I noticed, you know, I would like to escape to a coffee shop during the day and write or work. And now they've shut down again outside. And I'm like, <laughs> we're back home, completely home again, you know? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and yeah, Leanne, I, I, oh, I was go just Courtney, say, please. It brings up a good point that 
for some people, that feeling of being trapped really is like a trauma response or it can mm. create a trauma response. So, mm-hmm. and especially, you know, just acknowledging not every home is feeling safe for every person for various reasons. So mm-hmm. I think you're, you know, you bringing that up, it is something that a lot of people are sitting with and just figuring out how to have the moments of space or freedom, you know, even if it's a neighborhood walk, sitting on the balcony, whatever the thing could be just to get a little bit of space because this being home and being all together can feel really trapped and claustrophobic for people. Mm-hmm. And suddenly our Los Angeles apartment seems a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, I, not everyone has this privilege. We have really good friends who were in our pod from the beginning and they live five minutes away and they have a huge backyard and a pool and another single parent situation. So that's been our salvation. And then my balcony, which I love. uh, (laughs) But in the winter, it does this thing called rain in LA. It only rains in LA. And then when it's, so I won't be able to go out there in the winter, summer. Anyway. (laughs) That was a big issue in the spring whenever our kid was still home from daycare. On the days that it would rain, we were like, "Mm." Um, I don't know what to do. (laughs) He's losing his, you know what? Um, so I kind of, I was going to ask you something earlier. Honestly, I've kind of forgotten because, um, you know, somebody was talking too much, but, um, I'm not going to say who or anything. I I did want to mention that I think like going forward predictions going forward, I would like to see schools because there are some children that are actually thriving with virtual learning. They're like, this is great. I mean, if I could do this all day, every day, like I can knock out school early in the day and have the rest of the day to do the things that I want or whatever. I don't know. I would like to see districts almost provide like a a subsection for those students who want to virtual learn to do so through the district and for it to be public schooling and for them to not have to like go outside of the district to one of these online schools. Are you, I don't even know if this is a a good question, but like, are you talking to anybody or seeing any instances of families that are like, gosh, I kind of wish it could be like this all the time. This is much better for my kid. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of thinking, well, in the future, if we're all required to go back in person, well, then we're just going to opt out of that and do virtual learning some other way or homeschooling some other way. Yeah. Yeah. I think it goes back to that sort of like public school coming in one flavor and the my hope that there will be more options and more flavors moving forward. And I do hear some families, some families that were even considering online school before the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. then it was like, oh, okay, well now we've got this in place. Um, but I do, I do hear families that are interested in having this option moving forward. Of course, I think many of them would like it sort of perhaps hybrid or perhaps at least having more options as far as like pods or other extracurricular elements. Cause I think those are some of the things that um, people are feeling a loss over too. You know, if they're not able to do sports or clubs or theater or fine arts, you know, those types of things. That's such but a good yes, point. There are people interested. And oh yeah, I wanted to say, I was also thinking when you were asking that question, it would actually be quite beneficial for some teachers as well. You know, I was thinking about teachers that might have disabilities, teachers that might Mm -hmm. already be immunocompromised, an online work from home model could be something working towards disability justice in the workplace too. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And for students, right, for some students and their families, that that would just be what's best for them. That would that's what works best for them. So I, I do think it's important for us to have that option. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. I don't know if you saw that article. I think it came out just this morning. So right now in Austin ISD, we all went back in person October 5th, unless as an employee, you had an accommodation mm-hmm. and they approved quite a few accommodations. Let's say we're missing about 35, 40%, maybe even more like 50% of our staff in person on my campus. A a day or two ago, we got an email saying like, okay, everybody, we know there were a lot of accommodations approved for the fall. It's not going to be the same story for the spring. Everybody get ready. Like they put it in much more diplomatic terms. And then this morning, sure enough, the article comes out that thus far, the committee that's doing these approvals or whatever has declined, I think about 930 accommodation requests to stay home and off campus. And only approved about 44, I think the number was. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm really concerned about the exodus, a mass exodus of teachers. And then what that means, like even more is going to be piled on the teachers that are already there taking on the physical work of teachers that aren't. And just, it's like, I guess we're going back to the whole, we are still in the thick of this. It's not ending anytime soon and everybody has this fatigue and it, we just kind of keep getting punched in the face. Kurt saying that he heard just this morning, another three week full on shutdown. How do people deal with the fact that they just keep getting punched in the face with all of this? <laughs> Let me solve that real quick. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think my, my tendency is just to go to small small baby steps, but it makes me think like, okay, you know, that full capacity thing. And even, you know, for young people imagining a metaphor of like, okay, my water bottle is full, even one drop more, and it's going to over overflow. Mm-hmm. So my job is to figure out how can I ladle out some of that water. And like, for me, that's taking a walk, that's taking a bath, that's putting on my playlist and not using electronics otherwise. Um, and so I think we're really being called to that you know, to use the trend, the word that's trendy and overused and, you know, commercialized, but self-care, right? We have to figure out what is our self-care? What are the things that are helping us take some water off? And it sounds like a, that combined with sometimes making difficult decisions based on what's best for us. Okay. Mm-hmm. What do y'all think? <laughs> like letting out the steam, I guess. And yeah. I don't know if you would ever say this to a parent or to a student. I know <laughs> I probably wouldn't say this. I kind of like maybe do this kind of thing off to the side. You didn't hear this from me, but, you know, maybe just take a day off and don't go to any of your classes. And then you can do some makeup work if you want to or not. Just do as much as you have to to pass your classes. You know, I'll kind of like do this little side conversation, but you didn't hear it from me. Would you ever (laughs) tell a family that or feel comfortable saying like, you know, maybe you don't need all A's this semester. Maybe a C is good enough, you know, or. Yeah. Or maybe it's okay to go to summer school this year, you know, or what have you, if you need to kind of let out some steam and just kind of skip some classes or whatever. Yeah, I think that goes to the thing I said kind of at first of like, what's the balance between structure and flexibility? And it really can look different for every family and every kid. So the amount of flexibility that may be needed on a certain day and a certain week is doing less classes, having more downtime spending a day at the park, you know, whatever is needed to get some relief. 
because mm-hmm. all of the forces at play are not offering us breaks right now. So we have to, in a way, create our own. Mm. And of course, you know, for some families, that's going to be easier and more flexible. Like I'm a self-employed person, so I can be more flexible in doing these types of things. Um, but that's not everybody. So I think we can use what we've got. And if it's a, we need to use a sick day or if we need to not go to classes, I do think that that is definitely something that can be an act of self-care. Okay. You know, I feel after you ladies brought this up, it's really reminded me or it, it put the thought in my mind that, you know, everything's changing, but the expectations, like you said, some things are slowing down. We're doing things differently, but I feel like the expectations or it hasn't been communicated to the students yet that, you know, your grade point average doesn't have to, doesn't have to be like this. But I think, like you said, Courtney, we don't know where that's at yet. We don't know if college mm. are going to be like, Hey, this is your GPA now. But I feel like we're still operating on those standards of mm-hmm. life being normal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the big disconnect. Oh my God, I just saw world peace. This is the secret <laughs> sentence. I feel like this is where the disconnect comes in. It just that, okay, yes, we got to take it easy. Life is different, but we got to go, go, go. I got to get into Stanford. This is my GPA. You know, and I, and I feel like maybe if this still goes on long-term, we will adapt yeah. to this. Yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? Does it, do you guys kind it's of feel a lot like, of unknowns? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't want to like come in too hard on my like anti-capitalism spiel in this podcast necessarily, <laughs> but I, I, I am like, yeah, it's true that from the top down, like here in Texas, the governor has said, what did my spouse's email say? Something like the districts from some point are only allowed to have 14 days of virtual only school for the rest of the year due to COVID. Mm-hmm. 14 days. So like from the top of the Texas Education Agency and our governor, they're putting the pressure that goes down on superintendents, that goes down on teachers, that is, I think, probably creating pressure for teachers to keep the rigor up and keep doing the thing. You know, it's just this like trickle down of the pressure. Mm-hmm. And really, it's like we should be responsive. We should say, hey, we don't have capacity. We're all struggling. We need to shift the systems, you know, in the upward direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think because of the status quo of work harder, make more money, do things faster, we, we're not making those adjustments despite everything we're facing this year. Meanwhile, Absolutely. those agencies that are making those decisions are all working from home. Right. Good point, Leanne. Very good point. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, guys, we got to get with it here. We have to realize what's going on and we have to... And it just, it, it's going to take some time, but okay, you've had enough time. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> because like when they shut down last year, it was a shit show. Like they didn't have the curriculum. I know LAUSD, they were just kind of winging it. And, but I do give them credit, you know, from even from parents night, normally we'd be at the school. Like it was very structured. It's like, Hey, here's how this is going to go down. And I was like, really impressed. They are doing a really good job. As far as like trying to make it more structured and trying to have the students feel apart and like, oh, we're having virtual performances and, you know, we're at virtual concerts, you know, and so on. They are trying. And there's only so much you can do with 3,000 students. You know, it's it's a lot. That are scattered to the four Um, corners of Los Angeles. Wow. Yeah. Well, okay. um, Absolutely. I feel like that was a little bit of a Debbie Downer moment. (laughs) And I don't want to leave it on that. Is there something positive that you want to share with our audience about virtual learning before we, we start wrapping up? Or you can do a dance. It's your choice. 
or I should say sing a song because they're not, you know, they're not watching this yet on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. What am I? Well, okay. I'll leave, I'll leave like a tidbit rather than a positive. I'll leave like a, leave a little sort of something that parents or people listening could take away. And I think it's again, in alignment with a balance of flexibility and structure, one big tool and one strategy is creating agreements with your young people And this can start from younger children, and it's especially important as they're getting older and they want to be more part of the choices and the things happening to them, but really creating agreements together so that it doesn't feel like things are being done or forced upon the child, but they're creating them with, you know, you're creating these things together. So that could be agreements about technology use. It could be agreements about what the structure of the school day looks like, which could include you know, getting out of bed and getting dressed if that's what the teenager is also willing to agree to. So it could be about anything. It could also be agreements about COVID safety with hanging out with friends. Mm -hmm. But my suggestion is, again, to not just force decisions upon young people, but to co-create as much as possible. And that said, of course, uh, you know, a parent or caregiver, their role is also to hold some limits about things in regards to safety and to have certain boundaries and expectations that are just sort of like a, you know, they may be a no negotiation space for you and that's okay. But the, what are the other things where you can work with your kid and team? Like co-create. That. I like yeah. that. Co-create yeah. decisions. We forget Aww. about that. I forget, you know, because teachers, a lot of times you get taught to like at the beginning, co-create the classroom rules. And that sort of thing, we kind of forget to, we get so bogged down in the to-do list that we've been given mm-hmm. to exact in our classrooms that we kind of forget to to let them share what it is they want to see happen mm-hmm. during the school year. So that's good. I like that. So Courtney, tell us all the things. We want you to plug away because you are a Renaissance woman of many mm-hmm. talents. Remind us of your um, website. If there's any classes that you run, um, how somebody can get a hold of you if they want some coaching, if they want you as a doula, all that good stuff. Okay, yes. Yeah, so I do have, I always, for some reason, I always use the number 97. So I say I have 97 jobs, um, but I do have my life coaching practice. I'm also a doula and I am a writer. And so in these roles, you know, I think the biggest element is that I am kind of like a space holder or um, a witness to other people. Um, and so you can find most of my work is on CourtneyHarrisCoaching.com. It links to my blog, which has tons of resources, including a guide to how to create agreements with your teenagers. Mm-hmm. And if someone's listening to this and they don't have teens, honestly, my stuff is written using the word teens, but a lot of it is equally applicable to younger kids. So yes, CourtneyHarrisCoaching.com. And that's where you'll find my blog. Currently, I'm only offering like one-on-one coaching services. I don't have any courses or groups. I do have space for a couple more one-on-one clients and my blog will also, or my website links to my birth work website as well. Okay. And you're, I'm assuming right now, all of your coaching is happening um, via Zoom. Yes. Yeah. Which is great because I I did used to, I always had a hybrid model where I would work with folks who didn't live in Austin virtually. And then most Austin clients were in office. Um, but now I close my office and everything's virtual and I work with people all over the world. Sometimes I've only had two international clients, but you know, if time zones make it possible, I'm down. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, that's wonderful. That led me into my question. I know because you said you're not a therapist, so there's no restrictions on state lines, countries. There's no yeah. restrictions. Oh, good. Good to know that. 
Yes. Awesome. Can I ask, and this might be kind of a selfish ask. How do you get certified to be a life coach? Well, it's very, okay. It's literally a thing where you can look it up and you can find the certification that's like a hundred dollars, or you could find the certification that's like $20,000. Oh, wow. So it's really, that is, I guess, probably one of the downsides of the point that Kurt just made, which is like, there's not a licensing board. It's not like when you're becoming a licensed therapist, there's certain boards and certain, you know, like criteria. Yeah. So with life coaching, it's all across the board. My personal background, you know, I take from my work as a teacher that really informed and inspired a lot of my work. Mm-hmm. And I did do an online training for, it was called like Parenting Coaching Academy. And then I also did a positive discipline parent educator training, which okay. is one that I highly recommend. Okay. Um, but other than that, it's a lot of self-study and networking with other coaches. And just like, I take different trainings as things come up. Like in 2018, I think it was, or 2019, I took a trans mental health conference training. Um, gosh, what have I done this year? This year feels so weird. I don't know. But yeah. I just, I take other additional trainings as it comes along based on ways that I want to be most helpful to my clients and continue to grow my practice. So there's not a, not a straightforward answer for you, but there are, I think the International Coaching Federation is the biggest or most known um, group. Okay. Well, I might cut all of that because that was really me just asking. You can ask. Because I've always been interested in life coaching. I've always been interested in doing that. Kurt, did you have any final thoughts? No, I mean, I I personally got so much value from this. And I think that a lot of our our listeners will as well. This was really great connecting. I'm so grateful that you decided to join us. Thank you. Yes, thank you for for taking the time out. We really appreciate it. And hopefully you'll be able to come on the show again at some point. Talk about some more teen stuff, maybe some. Yes. We really want to talk about, um, you know, uh, teenagers in transition. That's a, a huge topic to tackle. So anyhow, we're kind of yeah. thinking through how to, how to uh, approach that on our show. Yeah. I mean, I would say I, if I am not the right person, I would have referrals to other people. And also if you, not, I keep just like plugging my blog, but if you look at my blog, I have quite a few guest bloggers and someone recently did a blog about, um, pronouns. Like I have, Oh, okay. My blog covers all kinds of stuff. So feel free to check it out. And then if you like the guest bloggers, you could contact them too. So, okay. Good to know. Yeah. I'm interested in the pronoun stuff. Absolutely. Thank you so much for helping us solve world peace today. We just (laughs) solved world peace. We just solved world peace with Courtney Harris. We appreciate your time so much. 